You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning, Citizens Church. Hopefully you already have your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be uh, in verses uh, 12 through 14 this morning, but really uh, spending most of our time in verse 13. Before we turn our attention there, just want to say, as we've said the past several weeks, uh, in these difficult times, if you are in need, whether you have been coming here for a long time or maybe this is your very first Sunday, but if uh, what's going on in the world, uh, if there are financial needs that you have or need for prayer or need for spiritual guidance or counsel, would you please uh, make those needs known to us? We as a church uh, believe it is our mission to represent the heart of God to you, and the heart of God is that he cares about your needs. And so uh, the best way to make those needs known would be to email us requests at citizenschurch.com. We care about you and uh, want you to know that we are in this together. In Colossians uh, 3, for the last few weeks, we have been talking about the change that happens in the life of the Christian, that in Christ we are loved right where we are. So to go back a bit to the two truths that we've repeated over and again, uh, that we are loved by God as we are, that the, the love of God is not withheld from us until we clean up our lives. It's not withheld from us until we behave better. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, talking about the grace and kindness and love of God, says that he lavishes it on us in Christ. It means he pours out his love on us. So not only does he love us, but he doesn't love us in moderation, and the love of God is not stingy, but in Christ, right where we are, he lavishes love on us. And that love changes us. The way we've said it around here historically is that the love meets us where we are, but it will not leave us where we are. It changes us. Namely, it transforms us to look like Jesus, that the aim of the Christian life is conformity to Christ, that all of us are being changed. And so that's every Christian. That's me, and that's you. And if you're gathered together watching this with other believers, every believer in the room uh, has been loved by God in Christ and now is slowly but faithfully being changed to look like Jesus. And here's what I know. I know that all of that is me repeating myself, but we cannot grow weary or we cannot grow tired of those truths, that the, the, the truth of the gospel is that God loves you in Jesus right where you are. That love changes you to look more like Jesus, which makes you who you were always meant to be as an image bearer of God. And so we'll say it over and over and over again. The beauty of the gospel is that it is news. And it is the kind of news that you can hear over and over and over, and it never becomes old. It is always and forever good. It's good news. We've asked three questions about this change. Why does it matter? How does it happen? And what does it look like? And briefly, we've said, uh, or I'll recap, uh, why it matters is because Jesus is king. He rules and reigns over the world, and it's who we already are, who we've already been declared to be. How it happens is through relationship with Jesus, seeking him, setting our hearts on him as he is at the right hand of the Father, 
ruling and reigning over all things as our priest speaking a true or better word about us that interrupts our shame and seeking him and setting our hearts on him reorders our loves around Jesus as the one who's most worthy of our love. And what it looks like, what this change looks like is uh, loving God and loving others because that's what Jesus did. His life was marked by his love for God and love for others. It's a summation of the whole law of God that we see on display in the life of Jesus, that he perfectly and faithfully loved God and loved others. So three weeks ago, we spent time talking about uh, the things in our lives that need to die that are incompatible with love for God and love for others. And then two weeks ago, I thought Adam Hawkins did a brilliant job in verse 12, just walking through the things that are to mark the life of the Christian. I'm excited um, to hear him preach more and more. Uh, This morning, we will be in verses 13 and 14, continuing to answer the question of what it looks like to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. But before we do that, I want to return and spend some time on the metaphor that we see thread throughout this section. Paul uses an illustration to help us understand what this change looks like and why uh, really this change is so important in the life of the Christian, and he, he uses language of putting off and putting on. It's a clothing metaphor. Uh, And so if we would imagine, if we'd lean into the illustration, what it means is before Jesus, our lives are wrapped in sin and wrapped in anger and wrapped in injustice and, and, and wrapped in idolatry and marked by the worship of things as God that are not God. And Jesus, what he does is he uh, saves us and in love forgives our sin, strips us away of those things that lead to death and clothe us in his righteousness. And, and, and as followers of Jesus, we strip away the old clothes and put on Christ, what Paul calls the new self. And so follow me. The reason Paul uses this illustration is because it says something about what the Bible teaches, what we as Christians believe is happening, not just in our lives, but what's happening in the world. Meaning, the clothes are connected to, the putting on is connected to the new world that Jesus is bringing. So one way to understand it is that he's saying, dress for the kingdom, dress for new creation. Uh, We've talked about this a lot, so I hope this is familiar, friends. When Jesus rose from the dead, his new world began. When Jesus rose from the dead, his kingdom began, and all who follow him are part of that new world. They're part of the kingdom that both is and is to come, and we are citizens in that kingdom. That's why we named our church Citizens Church, because we believe that this is what the Bible teaches about the world right now and about the world forever, that the age we live in is marked by anger and it's marked by lust and it's marked by idolatry and selfishness and injustice and exploitation in the age to come. The one that Jesus will bring fully and finally when he returns is marked by peace and it's marked by righteousness and it's marked by compassion and kindness and love for God and love for others and all the things that Jesus was. And so when we put on Christ, when we live in this way, the future is present in and through our lives. We present Christ and his kingdom to the world as we are clothed in the things that belong to the world that both is and is to come. Before coronavirus, before we were uh, 
you know, in quarantine and social distancing, uh, I would typically come up to the church anywhere from five to seven days a week, and that was the work week for me. Uh, and some days, uh, all of my days typically look different from one another. Some days are filled with meetings, and, and other days are, are almost all entirely study, and then some days are a mixture of both, and then obviously Sundays are Sundays. And I, I dress different based on what I have to do in any given day. And so if I have uh, meetings, right, or if it's a Sunday, I'll wear jeans and I'll wear a collared shirt and try to dress nicer, at least my version of nicer. Uh, but if I'm studying and my day is mostly, uh, you know, prayer and reading and writing and uh, anxiety, then I want to look comfortable or I want to feel comfortable. And so I'll usually wear shorts and tennis shoes and a T-shirt. And my kids have gotten to a place where they know what my day looks like based on how I'm dressed for the day. So if I come out and I'm wearing a collared shirt, a button-up shirt, then they'll say, oh, you must have meetings today, or oh, it's Sunday. If I'm coming out and it's T-shirt and shorts, and they'll say, oh, Dad, you must be studying today. Well, about four months ago, I officiated a wedding uh, for some friends and unfortunately had to wear a suit, which I uh, rarely, if ever, do. It feels like I'm getting choked all day, so I don't like it. Uh, but I, I went, uh, we got up in the morning, ate breakfast together as a family, and then I went to get ready, and I came out of our room, and I was wearing a suit suit and tie, and my six-year-old looked at me, her eyes got real big, her mouth opened, and she goes, what is happening? Because I rarely ever wear suits. And so she, what she knew is she knew that I was dressed the way that I was dressed because something was happening in my day. There was some sort of event in my day that was different, uh, that required me to dress differently than I normally do. And so those clothes that I was wearing were connected to an event, and that is the point that God's word is making here. It's the point of the metaphor that Paul uses here that Jesus rose from the dead. He rules and reigns at God's right hand. One day he will return. Evil will be gone for good. Heaven and earth will be united forever in perfect harmony. There will be no need for the sun, as Revelation says, because the glory of God will give it light, and that light and that glory will never fade but will shine bright for all of eternity. And that glorious future has begun in you because of Jesus. God saved you, is present with you, has promised eternity to you. You are new creation living in the old world. Dress like it. Clothe yourself in the virtues and the behavior and the heart that point to the kingdom that both is and is coming and that look like the Christ who rules and reigns over the world right now. We dress for the event of new creation that both is and is to come. And look, maybe this is just me, but I just find that to be a so much more compelling reason for change, that how you live, Christian, is not arbitrary. Uh, how we change is not meaningless, it matters, and it's not uh, purity for purity's sake, but it's pursuing a life of purity because I already belong to the kingdom that is unblemished by sin. 
It is not a humility for humility's sake, but it's a life of lowering myself because I already belong to the kingdom where the lowly are the ones who are exalted and lifted high by Jesus. It's not a kindness just for the sake of kindness, but it's kindness because the kindness of God led me to repentance, and I believe that I enjoy that kind God both now and forever. So putting on Christ, living like him, it invites that what is happening question. The same way that my daughter sees me wearing a suit and knows that something is happening in my day, the way that we live says to the world we believe something is happening in the world, both now and in the future. And that something is Jesus. The one who loves the world is returning to restore the world, and that restoration has already begun. And so I wear kindness and compassion and purity and justice as one who believes in every day that that world that's marked by humility and compassion and kindness and justice both is and is to come. And there is something that most declares that reality. There is one thing that we put on above all others that most speaks that true word about the world that both is and is coming in Jesus. Verse 14 makes this strong statement. It says, above all put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So if there is something that's most important to put on, if there is something, um, if there was one word and just one word that summed up what it meant to live like Jesus, the word is love. But it's a bit circular because as the Bible defines love, what it's going to do is it's going to use all of these other words, kindness and patience and meekness and all the, the words from the verse that Adam walked through two weeks ago. And, and so what do I need in order to be patient and compassionate and meek and just, I need love. And so, uh, you know, Carrie and I, uh, our wedding vows when we got married were the scriptures about love from 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not rude. And so you see somewhat of the circular argument the Bible makes around love, that what is most important over and above all these other things, it's love. But what is love? Well, it's patient and it's kind and it's not rude. Well, what do you need to not be or to not be rude? And what do you need to be patient? Well, you need love. And so what really has been said in all of these verses that we've been covering is to put on love and then all these other words define what that love looks like. And so having said all of that, we come to verse 13. And what we should expect, if you've, if you've followed me, what we should expect out of verse 13 is further definition of what it means to love and further picture of what it means to live as people of love in this world that represent the world that both is and is to come. Read it with me, verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. If we were to read it again and insert the word love, love bears with one another and love forgives as we have been forgiven. I want to slow down for this because it's a very different 
picture of love than what surrounds us. The messaging we hear around love, the natural ways that our broken hearts define what love is. What the Bible just said is love is bearing with and love is forgiving as we have been forgiven. And you hear the context there, at least the connotation, is that the relationships that we have with others in both of these words have this connotation of what does it look like to love when relationships are difficult. And what it looks like to love when relationships are difficult is bearing with and forgiving. And so we're going to devote the entire sermon next week to forgiveness and going to devote the entire time to, to answer the question, what does it mean to forgive as we've been forgiven? Because it's such an important conversation. It's such an applicable one. We've all been sinned against, and it's often misunderstood. And so that's next week. The rest of our time, we're going to unpack what it means for love to bear with what does it mean to put on Christ and to put on the kind of love that bears with one another? I love what one commentator said about this phrase. When I got to his commentary and got to verse 13 and read these words, bear with one another, he says, from this language we see that love is a rugged covenantal commitment to another person to be with that one and for that one as both journey into Christ-likeness. And I love that language, a commitment to be with and a commitment to be for, that my life makes your life look like Jesus. And so think about this. If someone asks you, hey, would you bear with me, right? What are they asking for? They're asking you to stay, to, to, to remain connected, to, to not check out, even though it might be difficult to do so, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to ask people to bear with you through things that are easy, right? No, if I say bear with me, something about relationship, something about moments together, something even about the conversation is going to be difficult, something about my life is going to be hard, and I'm asking you to remain with me, to endure with me. In, in, in a way, I'm asking you to remain close, even though it might be easier to go. And that's what's commanded here, bear with. And so, God's word is acknowledging something here that we all know to be true, if we're honest. Relationships are difficult. People are difficult. All of us included in that. Like, we all have our own messes in life. If we're honest, we are all waiting with Jesus through our own brokenness, and we go through things in life that are difficult, and things come out of our life that are difficult, and, and that's true for all of us. That means that's true for everyone around you. The people around you have difficulty that they're going through. Maybe those are difficult circumstances outside of them, or there's brokenness that's coming from them. So this command to bear with has those kinds of challenges in mind for the Christian. It has in mind the pain that comes with relationships, all relationships. It has in mind the struggles that those around you will go through. It has in mind the seasons where being a faithful spouse or the seasons where being a faithful friend or being a faithful brother or sister will be difficult. And in those moments, and especially in those moments, we put on love and we live, we bear with as if something has happened and is happening in the world. And that love comes out of our life as a relational endurance, a bearing with one another. Let me offer a definition. It, it, maybe it's just a statement. But the love that bears with says this. It says, I am with you and for you, even and especially when it's hard, so that my life makes your life look more like Jesus. 
That's what it means to bear with, that I am with you and I am for you even and especially when it's difficult so that my life makes your life look like Jesus. And I want, I want us to understand how personal this is. Like, remember with me what is happening as this letter's being read. Uh, they are in a living room in a city called Colossae, and they're packed into a living room together, and that living room is full of people very different from one another, different ethnicities and different races and different political views, and it's filled with families, and so it's husbands and wives and parents and children all gathered together. And so this is not a vague, disconnected, impersonal principle about love. It's deeply personal. The first time these words were read, they were read out loud to a room full of people who were filled with problems and filled with conflict. And if you just imagine with me, it's being read out loud and imagine he gets to the part where he says, bear with one another and everyone looks around the room because that's who they're commanded to bear with, to bear with each other as they're hearing these words, to endure together and, 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 and they know looking around the room, these are the people I'm called to love with that kind of endurance. And so maybe two former enemies in the room or two current enemies in the room lock eyes with one another and what they know is I'm supposed to bear with that person. Maybe husband and wife are sitting close together and then they're in the middle of one of the most difficult seasons of their marriage and he says, bear with, and they know about the other. I'm supposed to endure with this person. I'm supposed to be with them and for them, especially when it's difficult. And the same is true for us. Would you, would you do something for me? And I'm just imagining you all shaking your heads yes right now like you always do. Think about the people in your life, especially the Christians in your life, those that are closest to you, that are closest to Jesus. And so for many, that's going to mean a spouse, or for many, that's going to mean friends or roommates or home group or family. And so think about them. And maybe you're gathered with them right now, listening to this right now, and maybe you even turn to one another right now and you see each other right now and maybe I just made things really awkward for you right now. Whoever those people are, can I ask you something about those relationships? Do you bear with them? Do you endure with them? Are you with them and for them even and especially when it's hard so that your life makes their life look more like Jesus, or I could ask it another way, do you love them? Do you love the people in your life with an enduring, bearing with kind of love? You see, one of the things the Bible will do around love always is it will challenge our thin, shallow definitions of love, and it's going to confront the myths that we believe about love. One of the myths that it's easy to believe about love is that love is something that comes easy for you, and that's why it's love. That's what makes it love. It's love because it's so natural, right? And much of that comes from the belief that love is something that happens to us instead of love being a decision that's made by us. And this is the most common way that we talk about romantic love in our culture from the Disney movies all the way to the most popular songs, right? It's something, love is something we fall into, right? And so what we mean is that love is mostly something how we feel. And so when love isn't easy, it must not be love. When love demands endurance, it must mean that the love has, 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 has left because if I loved someone, if I really loved them, then what, what it would mean is that caring for them or enduring with them would be effortless and it's just not true. There's another myth about love that love is mostly about me, that love is mostly about you. 
that I love for what I get in return. And so love is this transaction and I offer my time and I offer my attention. I offer my emotion to you and my affection and my friendship and in exchange, you offer the same. And so my healthy relationships, my other relationships I value, the ones that go well for me are the ones when I get back about the same as what I give. And when the accounts between us are balanced, that means that the love is true. And, and, and if that's how I love, then I will end up doing one or two things in my relationships. If I love based on that kind of transactional mentality, I will either use the people I claim to love or I will always feel used by the people that claim to love me. And if love is defined as something that comes easy for me, or if love is something that is mostly about me, when someone sins against me, when someone suffers in ways that makes them needy, when someone is in a place where they need more from me than what they give to me, when someone in our life needs me to be strong when they are weak, when someone needs me to be at my best when they are at their worst, when the way I have defined love is shallow and thin, when loving someone becomes hard, my love will fail and I will move away, I will distance myself from because it was never love at all, at least not according to the Bible. But the distinct love that we as Christians put on, the distinct love that we put on that points to new creation, the love, the new creation that is and is to come is a love that bears with one another. It's a love that endures together. It's a love that says, no matter what's happening between us, I am with you and I am for you, even and especially when it's hard because I want my life to make your life look like Jesus. And so when I'm sinned against, when someone is in need, when they suffer in ways that make them needy, when they need more than they're giving back to me, when they need me to be strong because they're so weak, when they need me to be at my best because they're at their worst, the enduring, bearing love of Jesus moves in closer, pointing to Jesus. I heard the most beautiful example of this bearing with enduring love a few weeks ago. Citizens Church, uh, we, uh, you and I, we support a ministry in India with the resources that we have. In fact, one of our elders, uh, John Hall, he leads that ministry. And he recently shared a report, uh, a ministry report with our elders. What it was, it was a letter from one of the pastors there what happened was in response to the coronavirus, the government of India imposed a very severe lockdown over all of their people uh, in late March. And what that did was it left the most poor and most vulnerable uh, without work and because of that without food. And so many people, uh, including people in this ministry that we partner with, have died of starvation. And many others are facing death, dying of starvation. And so to help keep people alive, this ministry sent out 375 bags of rice to over 200 churches that are connected to their network. And the pastors of those churches received those bags of rice and they uh, dispersed those throughout their congregation and they went out to the most vulnerable in their congregations. And so that meant widows and orphans and unemployed and those who had been disowned. And they sent the bags of rice to them. And then something remarkable happened. I want to read a portion of the letter to you. The pastor said this, these vulnerable believers took the rice home and even shared it 
with their unbelieving family members, relatives, and neighbors who too had no food to eat. And the next day, pastors from these churches began to call and report stories of unbelievers coming to Christ. And those stories went like this, a story of a 53-year-old Christian mother who endured frequent physical beatings from her unbelieving husband because of her faith, because of her going to church. She gets the rice from the pastor and cooks the rice that the church gave her, and instead of just keeping it for her, she makes a plate and brings it to her violent, unbelieving husband. And when he sees the plate of food as one who's also starving, he falls at her feet and begs for her forgiveness, and that night, decides to follow Jesus. A 70-year-old Christian man who was thrown out of his own home by his own daughter because of his faith in Jesus, when he got his bag of rice, he went back to his house and knocked on his door because he knew his daughter and her family were also starving, and she opens the door and he offers the rice, and his daughter and son-in-law fall down weeping, ask for his forgiveness, invite him back into his own home. The next morning they go and they meet with the pastor of the church. They give their lives to Jesus and promise as soon as the church opens back up, they're going to come to church with their dad. A 49-year-old Christian widow who is thrown out of her village, thrown out of her village by her own people because she was low caste and because she's physically disabled and because she's unable uh, to speak, she shared her rice. When she gets her food, she shares her rice with her dying neighbors. And the next morning, those neighbors and all of their family knock on her door and they ask a question. They have a question for her. How? How did you do this? How could you love us despite what we've done to you? And she can't speak, and so she invites her daughter-in-law to read to them from the Gospel of John, which she only has as a photocopy in her home. And as her daughter-in-law reads the Gospel of John out loud, the entire family kneels down and cries out to Jesus for salvation. And I love what one pastor wrote about this woman. He said, that morning, the Gospel was preached by a woman who could not speak. And I just think of these saints and how enduring their love is for others, how enduring their love is for those around them. Oh, how they bared with others, uh, not just when it was hard, but when it seems impossible, and they loved out of their scarcity. And I'm just so convicted by how often I fail to love even out of my abundance. And these men and women, they clothed themselves with Christ. And these grains of rice, what happened is these grains of rice became seeds of love in their hands. And that's the kind of love that says that something's happening. It's the kind of love that says something has happened and is happening, and my body may be empty of food, but my heart is filled with Christ, and this world of starvation and violence is passing away, and I belong to the world that is coming where there is no more pain and there's no more hunger, and so I can share what may be my last meal in this life because I believe that there is a life coming where there is a table prepared for me, and I will forever feast with Jesus. And so clothed with love, 
these believers, a forsaken wife bears with her husband and a forsaken father comes to the rescue of his daughter and a forsaken neighbor says, I am with and for even those who refuse to be with and for me in my time of need. And I am with you and I am for you when we are starving together because I want you to know and look like Jesus. And I don't know what we're going to do when this food runs out, but I'm here in love and I will not leave. What love? What a beautiful picture of the love of Jesus. That is the love of the kingdom that both is and is coming. Those are the clothes of Christ. This is who we are, church. As the people of God, we are people of love, an enduring, bearing with, otherworldly kind of love that says, I am with you and for you, and I want Christ for you. Are you bearing with those you love today? In your life, Christian, are you loving them? And I don't know what kind of relational complexity that question falls on. I don't know if you're in a season of conflict in all of your relationships or a season of peace in all of your relationships, but I do know this, that we have been invited by Jesus to put on Christ in a way that no matter what the condition of our relationships are, we can look in the eyes of those we claim to love and say, I am with you and I am for you, and I want you to look like Christ. And even if things are strained, and even if things are tough, can I share good news with you again, church? Jesus loves you like that. Jesus bears with you. His love is for you, and his love is with you, even and especially when you're difficult and broken and struggling and needy. He does not move away from you. He is close to you, pleading for you. And what we are asked to do is to be a conduit of that love, to love those around us in the way that we've been loved by Jesus, to be with and for, that our life would make the lives of those around us look more like Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, that right now you're with us and you're for us. And your plans for us are all good that we might conform into your image, Jesus. And so would you give us the strength and the courage like our brothers and sisters in India who were our teacher this morning, that we would have an enduring love for those in our lives, that we would be with and for those around us, not for our own selves, not for our own gain, not because that's gonna be the easiest way to live in relationships, but because it's worth it, because you're worth it. Help us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.